Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services. With in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, a GRC and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm an appointed member to the SEC's Advisory Committee for Small and Emerging Companies, and I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like corporate governance, COSO 2013, ERM, SOCS 404, quality assessment reviews, and related topics. My guest today is Laura Anthony. She's the founding partner of Legal and Compliance, LLC. It's a national corporate securities and business transaction law firm. And we'll be discussing some of the new areas of focus by the SEC. Now, before we get into it, let's get into Laura a little bit and her background. For 15 years, Laura has focused her law practice on the small and mid-cap public companies, the OTC market, new IPOs, M&A, right, the mergers and acquisitions and complex business transactions. She founded and hosts a regular show. I love it. It's called LawCast.com. Again, LawCast.com. And it's on YouTube, and it's watched regularly by thousands across the U.S., and my argument, internationally as well. Prior to founding Legal and Compliance, Laura served as the chief legal counsel for a national investment banking firm and a NASDAQ broker-dealer. So talk about way in-depth in terms of experience. And that NASDAQ broker-dealer had over 200 employees. She is an honors graduate from Florida State University College of Law and has been practicing law for over 22 years. She is a supporter of community organizations, including Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, and is active in the American Florida and Palm Beach Bar Associations. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for having me on the show. This is going to be juicy and good, Laura. I can feel it. As many of you know, um, I was recently appointed to the SEC's Advisory Committee on Smaller and Emerging Growth Companies, and we get a lot of different viewpoints. But what I really wanted to do on this show is uh, look at some of the latest trends, and, and that's why I've been really looking forward to this interview, to share with our listeners some key insights from a legal perspective of what the SEC is up to these days. So now, Laura, can you please share first off with our listeners, what's the general concept of this, quote, like broken windows? Well, 
The SEC broken windows policy is one where the SEC is committed to pursue infractions big and small. They are committed to investigate, review, and monitor all activities and not just wait for someone to call and complain or just wait for the big cases. The idea is that small infractions lead to bigger infractions and that the securities markets have had a reputation that minor violations are overlooked, creating a culture where laws are treated as meaningless guidelines. So the SEC thinks it's important to pursue all types of wrongdoings, not just big frauds, but negligence-based cases and the enforcement of prophylactic measures as well. In a speech by Mary Jo White back in October 2013, she announced the policy and the SEC's enforcement initiative a little interesting fact, the policy is modeled after one pursued by the NYPD back in the 90s under Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and it was considered responsible for helping to clean up the streets in New York. So she's sending the message that the SEC wants to clean up the streets of the marketplace. So, so she's putting the tone out there, right, the culture that, hey, if you do a minor violation, you probably have an equal or a very good chance of the SEC coming down on you. We're not we're not going to just say, oh, it's just a low little infraction. We're gonna we're gonna turn, you know, uh, uh, close our eyes or, or turn our heads against it, you know, away from it. it. She's saying, look, the culture needs to be. We need, we all need to play fair. We all just need to be playing fair at an equal playing field. Everybody's got to got to work with these rules, and the rules are set. Now, if there's changes. Let's talk about legislation, et cetera. I'm sure Mary Jo White, uh, she she can only do so much in her uh, power of authority. But really, what you're saying, Laura, to our listeners is, it, it's it's a concept that was back where when uh, NYPD was, um, and I remember these days where they were really trying to clean up Times Square and yeah. and, uh, and and the surrounding areas. And so the broken windows are saying, hey, if there was a, a an apartment building or a, a vacant uh, building with a bunch of broken windows. They were starting to go after the landlords and the owners and saying, this, this is unacceptable. And then That's they were right. doing infra- infractions in the subway system where people would jump over the gates and they had these mobile units going through and saying, uh-uh, it's a minor infraction. They had these mobile units and it was sending a message. And now Mary, what you're saying to our listeners, Mary Jo White sending her own message about broken windows that, hey, these, these are the rules. We all got to play with them fairly. That's right. That's exactly what it is. And I, I wanted to get into um, something about oversight, okay? So what, in your opinion, what should public companies, especially the board members, okay, um, know about what the SEC is now focusing in on? Okay. So a big area of focus for the SEC now and really always is fraud in the marketplace. And for a public company, that doesn't just mean that the company needs to be sure that its principals and insiders are not violating the law or engaging the services of third parties to facilitate illegal stock promotion or other illegal activities, but also that the company itself is a gatekeeper when it comes to compliance with securities laws and has duties to monitor and be aware of improper activity, both within itself and in the trading of its stock. In that regard, a board of directors should ensure that a company has adopted a strong code of ethics, insider trading policy, and whistleblowing policy, and that these policies are communicated to the officers and employees and consultants at all levels of a company. 
A company also needs internal controls and procedures to ensure compliance with these policies and the laws in general and should make it standard operating procedure to get compliance reports from the appropriate executives at each board meeting. If a company has taken on the responsibility of preparing and filing Forms 3 and 4 for their officers and directors and 10% or greater shareholders, which, by the way, I recommend that they do, but even though when they do, they could be exposed to some liability, but if they've taken on that responsibility, the board should confirm at every meeting that all the necessary filings have been made since the last board meeting. A board of directors also has a responsibility to know its people. On September 23, 2013, the SEC enacted the bad actor disqualifications as part of Rule 506 of Regulation D. Rule 506 is the most utilized capital raising exemptions for companies big and small. The rules require a company to have a reasonable belief that none of the listed or covered persons, nor the company itself, is subject to either a bad actor prohibition or disclosure requirement. The Board of Directors should obtain a completed officer and director questionnaire from all board members and executive officers at least once a year and be sure that a company policy is in place to require disclosure of changes in between the annual form that's submitted to the board. Also recently, the SEC filed its first ever enforcement action against a company for using confidentiality agreements as a way to stifle or retaliate against whistleblowers. The SEC has indicated that it will also take action against company, companies for using employment agreements, incentive plans, non-disclosure agreements, severance agreements, and settlement agreements to stifle or prevent whistleblowers. So as much as a company has a policy and responsibility to self-police against securities law violation, it also now has a responsibility to allow its entire workforce to do the same and to not prevent them or stifle them from doing the same. Wow. I could talk on and on for, about this, but maybe yeah. I should end it there and, and we should continue. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's amazing because what, what I gathered is it, it's not just having um, certain policies and procedures written, but, but also there's got to be some uh, support behind it, right? There's got to be the controls. Sure. There's got to be some meaning behind it. There's got to be some activities. And, and that's where I was going to kind of ask more of a broader question on, on, on the regular board meetings because you had mentioned some of it already, but you know, what What should board members do, let's say, a little bit differently or to tidy up or to, to, to provide that um, evidence, if you will, that, that they're doing the right thing? So what should they be doing on the regular board meetings to address some, some of these concerns? Is it like writing more or working with our council to write more and then having some, you know, can you kind of walk our listeners through the, the what they should be doing in the meetings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, it is writing more. It's more reports and making sure that from the top down and the bottom up that people are complying with the policies. Don't just put a policy in place and think, okay, now we've put it in place and it's been communicated and, and everything is going to run smooth. The board of directors has a buck stops here responsibility. And so, yeah, they do need reports. They actually need written confirmation that they have conducted investigations, that somebody has reported to them that has conducted an investigation. They need to be aware of what those policies are and, and make sure that those policies are being abided by. And, and when they learn of infractions or problems, the board of directors itself has to be active in an investigation and well-informed. 
the basic thing is the board, and, board of directors has to be well-informed, take an active role, and has to be able to document or evidence that they have done that. Yeah, we, we recently were dealing with a, a more on an advisory level where uh, the board had missed in, in, in the minutes, they inaccurately uh, approved certain equity um, items. And um, I had a discussion with one of the board members separately from, from the group because he had asked me a technical question. He's like, well, why is this a, a this thing called a, you know, a, a gap, a control gap? You know, um, we, we all knew it. We all said it in the meeting, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, as, as a person that's looking for evidence, right, objective evidence that I can actually say this was done and, and you know, it can be repeated by any auditor, I need to I need to see that it was written and approved, and it just so happened that you guys missed this. The whole the whole team did, and you had approved it and gone through it. And then when we got into the details, we found there was a mismatch in some of the the tra equity transaction numbers. And and he says, well, what's the big deal? We all agreed it's not a material. Um, it, it's they, the 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 financial statements were accurate, okay? And I said, well, he, here let me put it to you differently. Who else is going to monitor the board's activities? Do you want shareholders to start reviewing your minutes and double-checking that they're accurate? The buck stops at the board. You, you right. absolutely, when you guys approve certain things, certain numbers, et cetera, I can't go, it shouldn't be that I go and audit and then it's incorrect. Okay, that's because right. there's, there is no additional oversight to the board, and that's why it's a big deal. Your numbers are correct, the footnotes are fine, you're not going to do a restatement, but there is nobody else and as an additional oversight to the board. And I, I think he got it, and we came up with a, uh, an actual very easy solution to, just to make sure that um, on certain things things were, were being accurate. But, you know, it just kind of hones in and echoes exactly what you're talking about, that there's got to be some meat, there's got to be some actions um, behind that. And I wanted to switch gears a little bit about forms or, or like the items that the SEC is now focusing in on that we talked a little bit about it, but, in the you know, in the past they were kind of either overlooked um, but what's something that, that is, is now on the horizon that the SEC, in terms of forms and various items, that they're starting to enforce it? You, you, you yourself are going, oh, my gosh, this is, uh, they're really taking this seriously. That's, that's pretty easy. It's Forms 3, 4, and 13D. Look, last year the SEC made huge strides in the use of data analytics and technology to monitor irregularities in filings of reports, trading activity as well. But they now can gather data without this extra huge amount of manpower, and they can spot when there's been failures to file forms on a repetitive basis for certain companies. And so they're going after like a broken window, they're going after these infractions that previously were overlooked. Now, the Forms 3 and 4 and 13D are shareholder and officer director filings, but the SEC is going after people and companies for failure to file them. Okay? So although the SEC has filed enforcement actions related to these forms in the past, it has not been very often and only in extreme cases. A lot of people read the news recently when the SEC twice, not just once, but twice, filed multiple actions in a single day for violations of the Forms 3 and 4 and 13D requirements. It sure got my phone ringing, I'll tell you that. So briefly, a Form 3 is required when a person first becomes an officer, director, or 10% shareholder of a company. A Form 4 is required when there is a change in the ownership or other information that was first filed in the form. A Form 13D is filed when a person 
first becomes a 5% or greater shareholder of a company. The filings are exclusive. The filing of one does not impact on the responsibility or requirement for the filing of the other. The SEC has also filed, possibly for the first time, actions against companies themselves for the failure to file Form 4s where the company has taken on the responsibility for making the filing. And the filing person, the person required to file, relied on the company to take care of it for them. So wow. in addition to, yeah, right. So yeah. And in addition to actual responsibility by the company for failure to file the forms, a company must report in its 10K whether all forms three and four have been filed, and they have to check a box on the, co on the cover if they're going to report that there was a delinquency. So it's embarrassing. It's a negative disclosure. And I mm -hmm. do one clarification that I get asked all the time. The SEC did not take actions against companies for a person's failure to file a Form 13-D. It was only on the Form 4s. And I know a lot of people are concerned that if their shareholders fail to file a Form 13-D, the company will be held responsible. That hasn't happened yet, just the 3s and 4s. Just the 3s and 4s. That's wow. right. Now, now getting into to dealing <laughs> with the SEC, so now you're getting these letters uh in your opinion what's the best approach to handle the sec when an enforcement action is you know placed on a company a public company well so there's two things one if it's just an if it's an investigation then the board of directors has a responsibility to conduct its own investigation and to cooperate if it's an actual enforcement action then they they need to hire really good defense counsel seriously that may sound a little tongue-in-cheek but absolutely it would be the first step when the sec even initiates an investigation let alone an enforcement action mm -hmm. beyond that the company must make a complete materiality assessment review the rules of the particular market that they're trading on, like if it's the OTC markets, NASDAQ, NYSE, MKT, NYSE, etc., to determine if they must announce or disclose the enforcement action immediately in an 8K. Generally, if it's an investigation, they may not have to announce it right away, but, but mostly in an enforcement action, they will have to. Again, the company must review all the facts and circumstances. Also, the company and the board would have to be aware of an investigation prior to the filing of that enforcement action. And so now they should conduct an internal investigation. Again, be active, be responsible. Don't just be an independent board that doesn't care, right? And they have to look at the issues that are raised. Where appropriate, they should make changes to internal controls and procedures. They should enact new prophylactic measures to prevent future violations. And they may have to remove people that are responsible, and, and most likely they will have to remove people that are, are responsible for the wrongdoings or the failures to comply with the laws. So it sounds like the company, before an enforcement action, obviously, is, is put on a company. They, they kind of knew it was, I hate, there was, it was oh, yeah. coming. There's, there's an investigation. They're asking. They're sending comment letters, et cetera, and then they're they're kind of doing the, huh, that's interesting. That's, the SEC is going, huh, that's an interesting response, and then it proceeds further and further and further before it actually, boom, comes down. But, I mean, the, the other part of, of this conversation that I'm gathering is that internal investigation. In other, in other words, the SEC thinks there's something here. Um, you should independently 
do your own analysis, right? And and obviously material yeah. materiality has a, a somewhat role on that as well, right? Not not oh, every yeah, penny. Absolutely. And and you know you have to document that. I think it's just it's not just a meeting and having a conversation. You know, it, it's it's having that supportive evidence. And and some folks don't realize that the DNO insurance policies, which are I don't know, a hundred over a hundred pages long, right? Yeah. They actually put their stipulations that you're actually going to do that, that you have enough evidence to support that you've done the proper due diligence whenever there's uh, an issue that's coming up. That's right. Uh, from the SEC. So so uh, I know most people kind of sign it, their insurance documents and then they forget what was on, on the policy that they actually agreed to. But um, and, and that's something that I tell board members. You, you can do it, especially the smaller companies. You can do it in a cost-effective manner. It's just get working with counsel to figure out, okay, well, how much is enough for our company? Okay, we're not GE. Uh, Dole, we're a smaller cap company. You can still do it with, you know, memos and checklists, et cetera, to say that you've done your proper uh, investigation and your your internal investigation. So there is a, a cost-effective approach out there. That's correct. Um, That's absolutely right. And I wanted to get into, um, you know, finding the right fit. Okay, Th- this goes to. You know, there's a lot of public companies that um, they're they're in the small cap space, and um, I, I recently came from a conference um, dealing in the small cap space. I was I was speaking there, and um, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts, uh, just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. <laughs> how okay. should put, putting your hat on the public company side, right? How should public companies conduct their own due diligence when they're finding an expert, you know, an experienced SEC? attorney to handle, let's say, some of these enforcement actions? What what should they be thinking about in terms of due diligence? Well, look, Google and the Internet is an amazing resource for due diligence, due diligence and research on anyone and for everyone, right? So absolutely a company can use Google and the Internet to research their attorney, to find out their background, what their reputation is, whether or not they are published, Importantly, whether or not they themselves have had a history of regulatory issues, sec.gov is an amazing resource in that regard. otcmarkets.com has a list of prohibited attorneys. You never want to hire a prohibited attorney. State bar regulators also publish and disclose complaints and disciplinary proceedings. And like any industry, the world of securities matters in public companies, and the attorneys that represent them is a small world. And a person's reputation is important. So get referrals, check references, and make sure that you hire somebody who is knowledgeable and up-to-date on the ever-changing securities laws. And when I say ever-changing, I don't necessarily mean the rules and regulations themselves, though they change quite often, but also the SEC's interpretation and viewpoint regarding the rules and regulations. They are often publishing guidance and interpretations, and you need to have somebody that's up to date, that knows what's going on within the SEC, what's going on with the regulatory environment, and what the focus is for these regulators. Exactly. It's it's uh you know going with our earlier conversation about broken windows. You just don't know which forms or what other items are going to start going after. I mean, in other words, that those rules were already in place. It's just now there's more activity from the SEC going forward. And um, I I think when when people start finding compliance consultants, one of the things that I always challenge the public companies to to state is, well, what's their book of business? And I'll tell you why. 
um, if if a practice has minimal um, revenue for, for that firm coming in from internal controls, I, I, I can I tell these public company clients, or pro, more importantly, prospects, I say, you know, how much are they really putting in terms of human resources and training? Okay, That's right. And so there's a there is a there is a dollar for dollar correlation. So the bigger book of business that's related to that, I can promise you, people do more training, or at least the good ones do. So when picking an attorney, I would say when you ask them, just say, well, how many clients? How what other what other areas of law do you practice? Because there's so many different laws of practice. And and then ask them to say, okay, well, what what enforcement actions have you personally dealt with? That's a great opener like you you're looking them in the eye or having that phone conversation and you say you know how many you're not you're not asking the question which companies you're saying how many what were some of the challenges you had to deal with in the in those enforcement actions i don't want to know the company name i just want to know what was the issue how did you resolve it it's it's kind of going back to our college you know prep days when we were we were going through the interview process with some of the bigger um, cpa firms they always ask these behavioral questions right because we we intuitively know that they want to work with somebody that they that is a good problem solver right yeah absolutely and so I would make an argument that part of that due diligence is asking them, the attorneys, um, some problem-solving type of behavioral questions. Well, walk me through what, when, when was the la- when was the last time you dealt with this? Because if it's been years and years and years ago, you just don't know if if those enforcement actions are really relevant. Let's say um, in terms of uh, the trends, you know, maybe maybe there's different trends going on right now. That's, that's so, right. Well, Laura, I uh, I really think this was a great, illuminating interview, and I'm confident our listeners gained a lot of value from your perspective on you know what's going on with the SEC and some trends. So thank you, Laura, for coming on the Compliance Expert Radio Show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.